Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. This conversation is with my good friend, Christopher Barricat. Chris Barricat has been on this podcast three times. I'm going to link all those shows in the, the podcast because uh, description because they were all amazing episodes. The first one, we just touched on a bunch of different topics surrounding fat loss and hypertrophy. The second one was a roundtable with our other good friend, William Grazione. And this one is an interview specifically about his recent research study that went over the varying joint angles and how they infect or uh, contribute to better hypertrophy. And, and basically what this means is by changing the joint angle and the exercise variation, we can stimulate better muscle hypertrophy growth. Um, it's a really, really cool study. And it was really the first of its kind. And it actually helped my program design quite a bit and many other people I know. So it's really cool to have the researcher himself go over this in a podcast episode. And we also touched on his latest book, which is going to release here shortly. So I'm going to put the pre-sale link in the description of this podcast because it releases early next month in November. Um, the I want to say it's the ultimate guide to body recomposition, but I may have just butchered the title. Sorry, Jeff and Chris. Uh, this is a book that he partnered with Jeff Nippert on. So it's two guys that are very into the science, very good with the science and really know how to interpret and explain the science in an applicable way. So they dive into how, how to simultaneously build muscle and burn fat at the same time, which is 99.9% of the people listening to this goal. And I can say that that's my goal too, because it's what we want to do. So it's an advanced book going over advanced topics on how you can do that. And it's going to be unbelievable. I've already seen some of the context that's going inside of it, and I can't recommend it enough. So today we're going to dive into both his research study, which he conducted at his university that he teaches at. We're going to talk a little bit about coaching and how he coaches individuals. And then we're going to dive into the book and why this book was built and what this book is all about and how you can accomplish body recomposition. Really think you're going to enjoy this episode. And if you do, please do me a huge favor, head over to Instagram and share a screenshot of this episode on your story and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Chris at Christopher Barricat. I'm going to put both of those usernames in the description of this podcast so you can see. Please do us that favor so we can reshare it on our story and we can thank you for listening. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's get on to this awesome episode with the one and only Christopher Barricat. All right, my brother, Chris Barricat. This is... Uh, third appearance on the podcast yes i think it's the third because we did the the interview and then we did the round table with will which crushed and then now we got round three yes sir you got some big things um that have happened big things that are happening we got some big things going on that we're going to be collaborating on that's all i'm going to leave it at because we can't talk about too much but um we're going to skip the intro because everybody knows you by now but i want to dive into the first thing is the recent research study that was published, got into weightology. Hopefully we'll see that in mass as well, all these different research reviews. Yeah. Um, I've used it as an example so many times on the podcast, dude, because I think it really lines up with not only the things I've done in my own program design, but the experience I've had working with you as well as my coach. Mm. And 
I've seen progress with the variance of joint positioning and stuff. So I want you to dive into like, just fill us in with what the study was, why you wanted to do it and what the outcome was. Sure. So um, I'll start off with essentially what the study was and why I wanted to do it. So what we did was we had subjects come into the lab and it was a, the study was all on, on bicep training. It was actually extremely simple. It's considered an acute study design. Um, so we had subjects, subjects come into the lab and one week they would come in and they would perform nine working sets of bicep curls um, with their shoulder at zero degrees. So that's the neutral shoulder position um, as if you were just doing like a standing dumbbell curl, for example. Um, we utilized a cable machine for control for a lot of purposes. So they were just doing standing bicep curls with their shoulder at zero and they did all nine working sets um, there. And before the experimental session, so before we started collecting data for this publication, um, the subjects had to come in and get familiarized and also do a 10 rep, uh, 10 rep max test. So we started them off with their 10RM and then we kept them within a 8 to 12 rep range. Um, and that's to ensure that intensity staying the same, right? Because if they came in one day and they were lifting heavier on one day compared to the next, we can't compare volume and muscle activity because there's too many variables coming into play. So all that stuff is really controlled in the scientific setting. Um, nonetheless, the next week they came in and condition two, the same subjects performed another nine sets of bicep curls, but this time they did three sets with their shoulder flexed to 90 degrees, three sets with their shoulder at zero degrees, and then three sets with their shoulder extended so their arm is behind them and their bicep is lengthened. And essentially what we found was um, on the week or the condition where they varied their joint angles, they produced more total muscle activation throughout the entire session, but the amount of volume they actually produced was essentially identical. There's no difference between volume, but there is a significant difference between muscle activation. So part of the reason why I wanted to do this is because I have a big issue with how much emphasis is put on the importance of volume, because I know that not all volume is created equal. And I figured that this would be a really good way to potentially, you know, illustrate that. Um, you know, my hypothesis was essentially what we found, but I could have been wrong. You know, I, I, we could have done this study and muscle activation might have been exactly the same or muscle activation might have been worse when they varied joint angles. Um, I guess, fortunately, the, my hypothesis was correct. But the reason I have an issue with um, the amount of emphasis that's put on volume is because I know it's not created equal, right? So um, there is a difference between an external workload and an internal stimulus. And that's what I was trying to, you know, potentially project. And, and I personally believe that's what the data does suggest. And I think that that is something that you can conclude from our results. Now, everyone uh, is open to their own perspective and their own, um, essentially, uh, their own interpretation of the data. But that's how I personally interpret it. And uh, something that's cool about just being a critical thinker, it doesn't, you don't have to be an exercise scientist, anybody listening, you know, Cody can look at a study and interpret those findings with his perspective. And I can look at that same study and potentially interpret it differently or 
give it more weight or less weight depending on how I feel the study design was and, and what the results were. Um, so yeah, I don't want to continue rambling too much, but that, that was essentially the, the main findings. So I do have a couple follow-ups on the volume topic. Um, yeah. I think we see eye to eye with that, which I love, but I, I do want to dive into a couple things on that just because I think it's, it's highlighted so much right now in our yeah. industry. So I definitely want to kind of cut out some of those things, but with this study and showing in the bicep curls, where else can we apply this? Like where in the body, what are some examples that people can like kind of leave the podcast with instead of just knowing, okay, change the shoulder angle for bicep curls. Does this apply to leg curls or leg extensions or squats or deadlifts or anything like that? Other muscle groups? Sure. I believe this applies to every muscle group, right? Skeletal muscle, skeletal muscle. So when we consider, when we, when we take a deeper look at what the bicep, uh, the functions of the bicep are, you know, how, how the muscle is essentially articulated. Um, obviously the primary function is to flex the elbow and the secondary function is to flex the, the shoulder. So the long head of the bicep crosses the shoulder and helps with shoulder flexion. So um, let's just take a, a muscle group like the triceps. We understand that the primary function is to extend the elbow, but the secondary function is to extend the shoulder. So doing things like tricep kickbacks right, where your shoulder is extended, is going to get that long head in a fully shortened position, and all, all heads of the tricep fully shortened. Whereas if you do a overhead tricep extension, and now your shoulder is flexed, that long head is fully lengthened and fully stretched. So even at the top, you can't get that long head fully shortened. Okay, so your lateral head and medial head are most likely going to do more of the concentric work, and then as you're doing your eccentric, you're going to create more muscle damage on that long head because it's in a stretched position, right? So something that's really important when it comes to producing force is understanding the force length relationship. So um, all muscles are strongest in the essentially the middle of the range, okay? Um, when a muscle is extremely shortened, it, can't, it can no longer produce force because the actin and myosin can no longer overlap. And then when a muscle is in a lengthened position, um, those cross bridges have a really hard time kind of communicating with each other and they have a hard time overlapping because of the stretch. Therefore, you can't produce a lot of force. So where do most people get injured? Usually in a, in a fully stretched position or a fully shortened position. Um, in athletic population, it's usually in a fully stretched position. Um, so... Yeah, kind of going on a ramble, but um, you can apply this to every muscle group. So with the triceps, it would be doing something like tricep kickbacks, so the muscle's fully shortened. Uh, tricep pushdowns, where your shoulder's around zero degrees, right? Your shoulder's in a more neutral position. And then overhead tricep extensions, where now you're, the long head is lengthened and you're at a different shoulder angle. Um, I think this would kind of be similar to hitting the chest, uh, you know, doing an incline press, a flat press, and a decline press. You're essentially training your pec at, at different joint angles, right? You're, training your, you're changing your sternum angle, um, and therefore you're kind of targeting different areas of the chest. So obviously if you do an incline, you're going to get more of the clavicular head or the upper pec. If you do a flat press, more of the, um, the sternal head is going to be involved. And then if you do a decline, you can definitely get um, primarily sternal fibers, almost no clavicular head whatsoever, 
and potentially more of the, uh, the lateral fibers. So kind of the, the wider sweep portion of your pec. Um, so I think this can be applied to everything. Um, there was a chronic study done by Fonseca and colleagues in Brazil. And this was a, so the difference, you know, the chronic study was at least eight weeks long. And um, they looked at varying exercises um, and keeping volume the same. So they had like four different conditions. I forget every condition, but the takeaway was the groups that were varying their exercises more um, had, had greater regional hypertrophy. So they kept the volume the same. I'll, I'll try to uh, give more examples. I know one group was doing leg press, squats, deadlifts, and leg extension. And then the other group was just doing like one exercise. But they were keeping volume the same. So they were doing the same amount of sets and the same amount of like sets times reps times weight, right? So volume was the same. Um, that group performing only one exercise still grew a lot, but they didn't grow in all four heads of the quadricep. They kind of grew a lot in one area and not much in the other heads of the quadricep. Whereas the group that was varying their exercise selection had much more, you know, uh, even hypertrophy throughout all four heads. And that was really cool because they actually used uh, an MRI. So their ability to assess muscle growth at each head was extremely, uh, extremely strong. Like there, there's no mistakes there that the control they have with an MRI is, is, is excellent. So, I mean, one of the first things I think is really obvious about this is the benefit behind this is just more fun in the gym. Yeah. Because it, it allows you to do more things instead of just like the classic DUP of like bench squat deadlift. Does it work? I guess, but it's, it's boring as hell. Like you're doing the same few things. So with more variation typically comes more fun, but would you say this is an easy way to get just as many gains with less volume, which essentially would lead to better recovery, probably more room for growth because you would have more room to progressively overload all these different things. It's super hard for me to say. Like it's that never would, black and white. I, never I black and white. Yeah. It, one thing I will say, I wouldn't say you can get more gains with less volume this way. But what I would say is, here's an example I'd provide. Um, I would rather someone do three sets of three different exercises rather than nine sets of one exercise. But that's not super practical. So I would rather someone do like three sets of, let's call it leg extension and three sets of leg press rather than all six sets of leg press. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, there, there is a lot of benefits to um, exercise selection and, and variation as long as it's done smart. So the way I like to program things is, you know, making sure this is for hypertrophy and for bodybuilding, right? So grow as much muscle as possible. Um, to make sure you do an exercise that, you know, kind of challenges the shortened portion of the range and over overloads the muscle in the shortened position, do an exercise that you can heavily load because it's challenging the mid portion of the range where you're where you're strongest, and uh, has the, the least likelihood of injury risk because you're strongest in that position. And then do another exercise towards the end of the workout 
that overloads it in the lengthened position, creates a lot of muscle damage, and um, is a great way to create a lot of metabolic stress as well. So I like doing that. I think it's a it's it kind of adds to the benefit of frequency too. Um, not that it would matter because you could technically do all three of those variations in one setting, but I really enjoy training a muscle two, three times a week for this exact reason because it's easier to organize those different variations and challenge your body in those ways without trying to do it all on one specific 100%. day. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, or at least having two days. And when I took a look at your program, I absolutely loved it because I was I wasn't just like looking at like, oh, he's doing this exercise and he's doing that exercise. I was like, okay, he's doing this exercise on this day that's overloading the shortened position. And then I noticed that you did a different bicep exercise on a completely different day that overloaded a different position. And then the next time you hit it, it was a different position. But within the entire program, you still got each position. So even though you weren't doing it within one session, you right. made sure you included that throughout the entire program. And that's why when I saw your program, I was like, I like it. <laughs> And he, for the listeners, he's talking about built for you. So I'll link that in the show notes. But um, dude, you had a big influence on that because I've always programmed in that type of way, um, but more off intuition. So once you started kind of telling me about that, you started showing me things, then your your uh, study, I believe, got published like right before my book. Was yeah, yeah. So it was like perfect timing because it, w- it turned like an intuition or an idea to like a methodical approach. And then I could be like, okay, this makes sense and I can organize it much more efficiently this way. And I try to teach people that inside of it, instead of it just saying incline dumbbell hammer curl. It's like, why are you doing that? Right. It's because your shoulders in hyperextension, you neutral grip, which is going to allow you to have that lengthened position more like so on and so forth. Um, So I'm glad you like that, dude. That was, that's that's cool cool. here for you. Yeah. Um, But I wanted, I want to dive into the whole volume thing too. So like speaking of frequency, speaking of the study, like the first question I would have is what do you find is what's your biggest issue with the volume research right now and or what could be improved upon it? Because I think the biggest issue is like a study comes out and people read the title and it's like 40 sets per muscle group equals maximum muscle hypertrophy. And people are like, oh shit, more is better. And then like, if you read it or if you listen to people reviewing it, they're like, yes, but X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, or I wish they would have done X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. So there's always like all these caveats, like, what would you love to see done or what would you say is the biggest issue with them, if that makes sense? Cool. I'm definitely going to answer that, but something I want to mention before I directly answer that. Um, volume has been spoken about so much lately and I was like kind of hoping that like it's, it's just going to stop, right? <laughs> like keeps going. The stop. But the funny thing is like literally in November, our publication is most likely going to get accepted and it's all about volume. It's another volume study. <laughs> So the debate is going to just continuously go on, but we're going like our study's findings does kind of contradict some of the other studies finding. So it's just going to be like a never on a never ending discussion. Um, well, and I think it's so individual, man. There's so many people like people talk about Jeff Alberts and like how, like, why do you do such low volume? Like he does low, low ish volume. I wouldn't even consider it necessarily low volume from what he puts out there, but it's obviously working, right? And then there's people that, like Mike Isretel, for example, who loves high volume and does a ton of volume. Like, I think everybody kind of, like, I know people who, I, I used to train with this dude that was jacked, and he would do, like, low rep strength work for 90% of his training. But genetically, and just, like, how his muscle fiber type is built, like, that's just what worked for him. And he grew. And it's like, 
why put him on a high volume program if that's working for him? You know what I mean? Like, I think there's just so many caveats and it can go so many ways. Yeah. So go into some of the results, man. Um, the, the thing, the issues with exercise science research is a lot of our studies don't have a ton of people. And then what we're generally reporting is just the group means. So it's like, you know, this group grew this much and this group grew that much and the group doing the most amount of volume grew the most. Um, but when you actually look at the individual data, it's typically all over the place. And, you know, our study, we compared 12 sets, 18 sets, and 24 sets of the lower body. It was leg training only. Um, again, this is going to be published probably in the month of November. So in JSCR. So, um, yeah, what we found was um, volume didn't make much of a difference. The group that did 12 sets per week um, actually grew the most compared to the 18 and 24. So when we looked at the group means more wasn't better. Um, but we actually, the, the graphs that we utilize in um, this paper, we do show the individual responses, which I really like. So we, rep we report the group means, but we show individual data. Um, and that's just all over the place every time. Um, my biggest issue with exercise science research and the volume studies is the subjects that come into the lab and get thrown into a group, whether it's 12 sets, 18 sets, 24 sets, or, you know, uh, Brad Schoenfeld's study did like nine sets, 27 sets, and 45 sets or something like that. Yeah, 27, 45. They don't ask the subjects, hey, how many sets per week do you currently train with? So they just get, you know, what, what ends up happening is they do ultrasounds of their quads or they take muscle thickness measurements and they, you know, DEXA scan them or whatever tools they have. And then they randomize them because that's what you have to do for statistics and for good research practices. They randomize them and they throw, you know, they, they try to have equal groups, um, but they're not asking them um, how many sets are you doing right now. So we're currently running another follow-up volume study that's not going to be out until probably 2021 to be totally honest with you because research won't be like we're not going to finish data collection until may of 2020 so by the time this thing gets written up and by the time it gets published it's probably going to be 2021 and like we're doing it now so research takes forever um the cool thing is we have subjects coming into the lab we ask them hey how many sets per week do you train legs right now? Write out your training program for me. Let me see what your leg training program looks like. Now we have three groups. One group is doing the same exact volume that they've been doing, so there's no increase. One group is doing 30% more volume, and the other group is doing 60% more volume. And within those percentages, obviously, that's a different amount of sets added. Based exactly. On the a different amount of sets added by, per individual. So this is the first study to ever do that. Um, it is a collaboration with uh, Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, which I'm super excited about. Um, my mentor is Dr. Eduardo de Souza. He's from Brazil, um, extremely well-respected in the exercise science realm, has zero social media presence, doesn't care about this stuff. So, um, like, like researchers know who he is, but like, you know, people on Instagram have no idea. Um, so I'm really excited to be a part of that. And that's going to be hopefully like one of the nails in the coffin kind of thing. Um, but besides all of besides all of that, another thing I have, um, another issue I have with the volume data just as a whole is 
you know, we look at volume load as weight times reps times sets, sorry, weight times sets times reps, however you want to look at it for volume load. And like, you can't compare the amount of volume someone's producing on a leg press compared to a squat compared to a leg extension. But unfortunately, that's kind of what's done, right? Um, in, in exercise science. So there's a lot of issues with volume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think it just, it, it's people don't understand how much goes into research and how many variables you have to try to control. You know what I mean? Like, because like you said, like a squat and a, a leg press can essentially hit the same muscle groups, but you can load a leg press significantly more. So it completely changes the amount of volume. So, um, but I'm really, really excited. Like, fortunately, I'll still be looking at research. So I can patiently wait until (laughs) it comes out. But um, I love it, man. I think that's a really good perspective. And it kind of puts some different things, uh, thoughts in people's minds to think about when they start reading this research, or even when they dive into research reviews, and they try to be huge critics of what's coming out. It's actually one of the reasons why I suggest like people always ask me like where I find my information or what should I do for studying? And I'm like, are you part of a research review? And they're like, no, I'm like, well, that should be your first step because trying to read PubMed is difficult, especially as a novice. So like if you're trying to get into more of this stuff, read the research from people who do the research or understand the research and can review it properly. And you learn so much more. Um, And then it's not just opinions you hear online. Right. Yeah. But I want to change subject because we are, uh, we don't have too much time left. You have a big project going on with Jeff Nippard. So, so fill us in with that because the pre-sale already started, which I'll link in the show notes of this. I highly suggest everybody grab it. Um, and when I heard the title of this, I was super pumped because just like everything we just talked about, uh, you tend to take what's known, quote unquote, as yeah. black and white information and go, no, 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 no. I think I, can, I think I can create something out of this or change your thought process. Um, and this is the perfect topic for that, body recomposition. Yeah. Some yeah. people are all about it. Other people are like, it's completely impossible. You're either in a deficit or a surplus. Fill yeah. us in on what this recomp project is, and, and we'll kind of just dive into the weeds with that. Sure. So the name of the ebook is The Ultimate Guide to Body Recomposition. And our goal is essentially to teach people how to build, how to build muscle and lose fat at the same time. So um, this is a very controversial topic in, in the industry. Uh, a lot of you know, evidence-based people like to claim that body recomposition only happens in um, untrained individuals, detrained individuals, or like obese, sedentary individuals that just started training or something like that. And the truth of the matter is, it's just, it's, it's not true. I, I see body recomposition happen every single semester when we run these training studies in natural athletes. Um, you know, I like to consider them intermediates. That's how I view them. But the research literature actually defines them as well-trained. Some of our subjects are extremely highly trained where they're squatting like 315 for 12 and stuff like that. Like we have some really strong subjects. Um, But I've I've just seen this way too often in the lab. And I've also seen it way too often with my clients. So um, I think people approach their nutrition and their training suboptimally. my goal is just to help more people. So why not put out this resource that I think is going to really empower people to, to take a different approach and really maximize their progress rather than, um, you know, still get good results, but not get the best results possible. So why do people think it's impossible? And why are they wrong? Like, and I guess like, like, I think the obvious thing is, is like, when you're in a surplus, 
you're in a surplus when you're in a deficit, you're in deficit. I understand that. But like, how are you like demystifying this? Right. Like how, like, is it, is it a matter of kind of maximizing like the one to 5%, if that makes sense? Like, okay, you've hit your macros, you're hit, you're in a calorie balance. We get it. Now nutrient timing does come into play. Now hydration does come into play. Exactly what you eat pre-workout does come into play. Like, is it about getting into the weeds? Is that really what it takes? To a certain extent. So some, some of the issues with just the industry as, as a whole is I think um, when people try to make complex theories very simple, they oversimplify it. But by oversimplifying it, they're actually falsifying it. So, you know, when it comes to nutrition and training combined, a lot of people just want to give you an answer that's kind of easier. When something is complex, if someone comes to you and says, hey, man, I want to build muscle and lose fat at the same time, you have, to, you have to really explain to them, all right, your training needs to be like this. You need to optimize your training for hypertrophy. And then you need to optimize your diet and make sure that your macronutrients are in, are, are in a good place to fuel your performance, maximize your recovery, and maximize your muscle building potential. It's that answer is more complicated than say, oh, if you want to lose fat, man, go on a calorie deficit. Oh, if you want to build muscle, man, go on a calorie surplus. And another, another issue is just that, you know, weight changes, body weight changes, and body composition changes are completely different. So even though energy balance is that, you know, foundational principle that does control weight loss and weight gain, it does not control muscle building and fat loss just it just doesn't happen so um uh, let's start with beginners right let's say you have an average person that hasn't trained they come to me even if their goal is fat loss i am not going to put them in a calorie deficit right away unless they're obese right or like really really heavy if they have normal body fat levels i'm going to get them training properly and i'm going to have them improve their nutrition where they're probably going to be eating a lot more protein right now than they previously have. And the training stimulus is going to create um, that environment and it's going to basically force these adaptations to, uh, to occur and the nutrition is going to support it. So if you get someone who's a beginner, a novice, or even an intermediate, if they have normal body fat levels and they haven't been training smart or training hard or training at all, you give them a good training stimulus and you optimize their nutrition and they will lose fat and build muscle. So you can't pay too much attention to the scale. I have my clients weigh in, but I also have them take waist circumference measurements and or skin calipers. It's usually waist circumference for everybody and progress photos. And I share, you know, recomposition with my clients all the time on Instagram and stuff like that, where their weight is staying exactly the same but their waist circumference is going down week by week by week. So we know that they're losing fat, but their body weight's not changing. So from a energy balance standpoint, they're more at calorie maintenance, right? Their weight's not changing. If I were to put them in a calorie deficit, they might lose more fat, um, but they're not going to be able to build as much muscle. So from a health perspective, from a metabolic perspective, I would be doing that client a disservice and they are not getting the best results possible. So that's, that's some of it. It's, it is much different uh, the more advanced you become. Um, I think it's important to you know, enter slight surpluses, have a, a decent rate of gain, 
and then you know enter a mini cut and go into a slight deficit. But what you want to see is your previous body weight. Um, you know, let's just say you gain 10 pounds and then in the future you cut, you mini cut and you lose 10 pounds. Your new physique at that same body weight that was previously your baseline should look completely different. Therefore, you're now carrying more muscle than you used to at the same weight. Therefore, your body fat percent is lower. Um, and another thing to consider is recomposition is typically defined as building muscle and losing fat at the same time. But I also like to define it as building more muscle than you are gaining fat. So even if you're gaining fat and gaining muscle at the same time, if you're gaining more muscle than you are fat, then your body fat percent is going down. So your physique is going to look way better. And that is like the approach a lot of novice and intermediate should be taking. They can get into a slight surplus because you, you can grow at such a good rate that you want to gain weight. But that doesn't mean your body fat percent is going to go up. Your body fat percent might stay the same or go down because you're building muscle at the same time. Do you think that part of the reason why a lot of people don't believe this is just because there's not that many? I know they're actually in the process of doing some right now, but there's not that many studies done on trying to change body composition at maintenance. Yeah. Uh, that can be a big part of it. Because um, I believe you can build muscle at maintenance as well. Like, and I think that. I actually want to say I heard Mike Matthews say like Legion is funding Eric Helms and Brad Dieter and a couple other people to do a lean gain study, which is like, that's what their goal is like build muscle at maintenance. So you're yeah, yeah. They are doing that study. Um, I'm excited to see how that turns out. But yeah. again, there's so many individual differences too, you know? Um, and it just depends on your goal, right? I mean, yeah. for a competitive bodybuilder, it might make sense to purposely gain weight like you said, gaining more muscle than fat, but still gaining some fat. So the progress overall is more net muscle growth. And then you can chip away less fat when you have to cut again versus That's somebody who's like, I'm not competitive. I don't want to get big, but I would much rather have more muscle, less fat. I'm like, sure. but I'm more concerned about being lean um, and going that first approach you talked about, which I love when you say that, because there's so many people that hire coaches and they just drop their calories like that. And I'm, I call it a priming phase, but like when I take on a client, I'm like, okay, we're staying at maintenance. Let's optimize everything first. And 100%. usually by that first like four to six week period, we haven't even cut calories, but they look dramatically different. Exactly, man. And that gives them an opportunity to develop good habits. Um, they're not going to be hungry right away, mm -hmm. right? So they're actually going to be more adherent because they're not like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry. Um, my food is low. Like they're going to, they're probably usually come to me and say, hey, I'm actually really full. Like I've never eaten this much protein. Like they're, mm. they're really like satiated. I'm like, just let's keep executing. You'll see your body change. Yeah. And then, then they get that positive feedback and they stay more adherent because they're getting great results. Um, one thing I want to mention was I, I used to, you know, practice athletic training. And when I was an athletic training student, um, I worked college football during preseason. The recomp I've seen on <laughs> college athletes during preseason is, is insane. They, they build like, a substantial amount of muscle in like four to six weeks and, and lose body fat. And, you know, any, any college athletes see that during those phases. I remember my man, Will Grazion played college football and he said his teammates would just recomp like crazy during that preseason phase where they're getting back to lifting and, and training really hard. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, I've seen too many things with my own eyes in the lab, but I saw one subject build, uh, he gained 20 pounds of lean mass in 10 weeks. So naturally, you know, <laughs> naturally, naturally, 
he's a complete outlier. Um, that's by far the most I've ever seen. But the scary thing was he didn't gain body fat either. He lost like 0.8 pounds of fat mass at the same time. So even even as a genetic outlier, that's still pretty crazy. So what was the what do you think that it was the like what was the variance that that created? Like what did you change when he came into the lab? Um, well, he, he wasn't extremely well trained by any means. So he was a he was a basketball player that like lifted like three times a week, more like strength and conditioning style lifting. Mm. So like doing like if he were to back squat, he would do like, you know, 50 to 60% of his one RM for power. So he's never done hypertrophy training. Like, does he bench press yet? Does he squat yet? Does he do like an RDL? Yeah. But he was he was doing strength and conditioning work for college basketball. Mm. And then we're like, let's bodybuild. So we put him <laughs> on the insane leg training study while he was running my upper body training and he just blew up you know it's like you've seen phil heath's college basketball photos yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, he came in looking like skinny and then like 10 weeks later he kind of looked like college basketball phil heath and it was like dude i know uh oh well high school so he went to high school out here by me so i know people that played on the same high school team as phil heath oh that's sick yeah he's from seattle and then he moved to colorado or denver i think when he played college. yeah yeah but um, actually, one of my friends was uh, at the Vegas club when he won Mr. Olympia. Like, he has pictures of him in the VIP just bottle popping with Phil Heath. I was like, I text him. I was like, yo, are you friends with Phil Heath? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw you on Instagram, bro. It's like, yeah, we went to high school together. <laughs> I was like, that's crazy. Uh, but, dude, I love it. Um, is there anything else you want to throw out about the recon book before we wrap this podcast up? Obviously, I'm going to drop the pre-sale link in the show notes. Um, one thing I will caveat is, like, the little bit we've talked about anything that Chris is about to say, you really can't encompass what's going to be in this book. Like I've seen like what's going into it and it's pretty nuts. So highly recommend everybody check it out, obviously, because there's gonna be so much valuable information. And I actually think it's extremely valuable for gen pop, even like, obviously, the science and all this stuff is really fun for us coaches and, and nutrition geeks and stuff like that. But there's a lot of gen pop people that are like, I don't want to be huge. I don't want to be shredded but I want to like feel good and look good. So like they're the perfect people to practice yeah. recomposition. They're not diving into a super big deficit. They're not going into super big surplus, yeah. but they're radically changing their body comp while feeling better. The, their ability to recomp is so much better than, than my ability to recomp, your ability to recomp, right? Like acutely. So yeah, it's absolutely for them, like more so than anyone else. Um, we have an entire chapter on skinny fat. Um, which I really enjoyed. Um, there's 142 scientific references. Damn. It's, it's over 300 pages. So like the people might expect to get like a 70 page like PDF and they're going to get like probably close to 400 pages and they're just going to be like, <laughs> what the hell? So yeah, it's, it's, it's extensive. Obviously I highly recommend it. Um, pre-sale ends uh, November 1st or November 2nd, but it's obviously available uh, thereafter. Um, so definitely check it out. And then one thing I wanted to mention, the bicep study that we spoke about earlier is also on the website. It's open access. So you can go to schoolofgains.com with a Z um, and go to the research tab and then pull up that study. And I also have free workouts for people to download. So if you guys want to get an idea of what my training programs do look like, you can download the free workouts. Um, you'll get a free leg day, you'll get a free chest and back day, and you can get a free shoulder and arm day. And you can get a really good idea on how I like to program for hypertrophy. 
And then if you love those free workouts, you can check out my programs that are also on schoolofgains.com. Love it, man. Thank you again so much. I'm going to link social media, School of Gains, the book, all that stuff will be in the description, guys. So make sure you check this stuff out. Chris is pouring out so much content and somebody I support and all that stuff because it's just so valuable. And it's coming from a legit source, which is actually why I'm happy you you collaborated with Jeff on this because Jeff Nippert's known for actually taking good research and making really high quality videos around them. But like two people that are like either entrenched in the research or love interpreting the research or a combination of both coming together for an ebook is epic. So super yeah. pumped about that, man. And, and thanks again for spending the time on the podcast. No, man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, bro. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering. And because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation. Jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.